So um, I mentioned that I would um, discuss a poem more that I read out loud on this past Sunday, uh, but I, I never did get a chance to talk about it in our Iona podcast. So I wanted to read and talk about it a little bit more as a bonus um, for the podcast. So this is um, one of Rilke's sonnets to Orpheus, and it's the eighth. Uh, sonnet, and um, I'll read it first and then um, talk a little bit about it. Only in the realm of praise may lament range, the nymph of the tear-fed stream watching over our cascade to ensure that it strikes clearly on the same rock that supports the gates and altars. Look, Around her quiet shoulders dawns the feeling that among the siblings of the heart, she must be the youngest. Jubilation knows, and longing has admitted. Only lament still learns. With slender hands, she counts for nights on end the ancient curse. Yet suddenly, unpracticed though she is, she lifts a constellation of our voice into skies, not clouded by her breath. Um, so this poem for me, the first, um, the first bit that stood out to me, I usually, you know, a poem for me kind of builds and builds and it's that final stanza that really opens the door into awe or healing or that that feeling of satisfaction or being heard or understood and it doesn't always have to be you know what's maybe seen to be as a as a good ending to a poem you know it does it can be a full of grief or lament um, at the end but what that does for me is it's satisfying in that um, I feel seen, you know, in my own human condition that all of these feelings, all of these emotions are very real. But anyway, the, um, the stanza, of course, that stood out to me the first time I ever read this was that last stanza. Yet suddenly, unpracticed though she is, she lifts a constellation of our voice into skies not clouded by her breath. And you know, that, that sense of being unpracticed to, you know, she lifts a constellation of our voice, this cosmic, um, beyond our depth, beyond our years, yet she, she lifts this voice, a constellation of our voice into skies not clouded by her breath. So I just, I loved this image. The first image that came to me was unpracticed though she is. She's doing this Herculean thing. Um, and so that's what made me curious about this poem and made me want to read it again and again and go back and backtrack to the beginning of the poem and start that sort of deep dive into each word, each syllable. Um, so we're going to jump back as I did. Um, and begin at the beginning, you know. So where are we, you know? Only in the realm of praise may lament range. 
So, you know, immediately there's this paradox, a landscape of paradox. We're in the realm of praise. And why is it only in the realm of praise that lament may roam? And, you know, I think for me it's that, um, you know, we, we, um, we can only let ourselves really truly grieve when we feel surrounded by beauty or love. Um, I think a lot of us end up not grieving things that we want to or need to grieve because we've lost a sense of beauty or love and we just kind of like put our nose to the grindstone and just try to get through life and you know beauty becomes a luxury or love becomes a luxury but you know we're unable to process grief so already in this poem you know only in the realm of praise may lament range and it's this beautiful praise makes room this beauty this love makes room for lament and here in this realm of praise where lament can walk freely is the nymph of the tear-fed stream this nymph of the tear-fed stream watching oh and she's she's watching over our cascade this or falling you know this cascade of lament so that's the way for you know if we're talking about lament roaming i guess lament is falling it's this visual of a waterfall um and i love in Celtic spirituality, you know, waterfalls are, you know, one of the thin places, you know, between worlds. Um, so here we are um, with this nymph who is watching over our cascade um, to ensure that it strikes clearly on the same rock that supports the gates and altars. So there's this nymph who's making sure that the water falls in the same place at the gates and altars again this kind of image of a threshold or a doorway um, that lament creates for us when we're able to lament when we're able to grieve and this nymph it's her job she's she is a woman of the well and you know in a way it's, again this is another uh, celtic mytho mythological reference um, where you have the women who watched over the wells, um, kind of the health and the lifeblood of the land. Um, and then the poem goes on, you know, to, and asks us to look, you know, look around her quiet shoulders dawns the feeling that among the siblings of the heart, she must be the youngest. So this nymph, she's one of the siblings of the heart and around her quiet shoulders dawns this feeling upon us that she is a young nymph who is, you know, and how could a young nymph who we often think of youth as untouched by grief, you know, this innocence, and yet this nymph, you know, she, and so we get this sense, you know, she's innocent, but she, she must be the youngest. Um, she's quiet, and yet she has been selected to be, uh, to be watching over our cascade of grief um and then the poem goes on that you know and i love this um jubilation gnomes i feel like 
when we are truly joyful, what do we know? We know lament. We only can know that jubilation because we have grief. And so jubilation knows. You know, jubilation has a wisdom in it in contrast to maybe this nymph that we perceive as being youthful and young and innocent. And longing has admitted that only lament still learns. So, you know, it's this, this lament that teaches us. It's the grief that teaches us. I, I often think, you know, grief, what grief teaches us is reminds us of our human condition and more than our human condition that we are part of nature that we have cycles of death and birth and you know for thousands of years now you know in western culture especially there's been this great denial of death and um, we're always trying to fix our limitations and our frailties instead of accepting them and in all this fixing we forget we forget that there's this wisdom that jubilation knows you know so I think we you know the more we spend our lives trying to stay out of lament staying out of the grief the grief and and um, we're never gonna learn you know only lament still learns so when we, I feel, and that's that humility, that humus, that humanity. So when we're, when we allow ourselves to drop down, um, then we learn. And what do we learn? We know we learn these cycles of birth and death and renewal, and we remember. Um, and then the poem goes on. You know, with slender hands, she counts for nights on end the ancient curse. Um, so this nymph, you know, with her slender hands, she's counting each night, nights on end, um, the ancient curse. To me, this word curse is an interesting word, and you know, and I think here I'm going to take some liberties where I'm, I'm sure that what Rilke is pointing to is that ancient curse, which is death, that we are mortal, that, um, you know, and so there's this image of this nymph, she's counting, you know, down the days until death claims us, you know, she's watching over this cascade of grief. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to deny, you know, that that is often what is at the root of our grief is that this beautiful life is so mm -hmm. short, you know, as Rumi says, it's as short as a half taken breath. So it does seem quite cruel that we're, we're placed in such a beautiful, wonderful existence, and yet it does not last. And so, and on the one hand, yes, I agree, like, it feels like a curse in that sort of way that I think most of us would interpret curse as, you know, something we don't want, um, something that delivers um, something bad on us. But I want to reclaim that word curse, and um, in, in ancient cultures, you know, there was the crone, the old woman, the elder woman who, you know, was the embodiment of wisdom and clarity. And often these women would curse people before they died, not at, not to, to curse them to death, but to lessen the blow of death that they would, they would bring upon them 
you know, something that would distract them from the pain of death. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of reclaim this a little bit too while also acknowledging that, you know, I, I do feel that death will be a sad day and that at least now, maybe that's why it's not my time, but, you know, I'm, I'm not even close to being ready to leave this existence and this body and this iteration. And so when I think of curse, I want to think of all of the different variations and ways that curses have been used in the past and anciently, you know, this is talking about the ancient curse. And women, especially as healers, this curse that they would, you know, bestow, especially upon, um, you know, sacrificial beings, um, that it was a way to soften the blow of the actual death and dying. So here we are, we have this jubilation knows and longing has admitted. Only lament still learns with slender hands. She counts for nights on end the ancient curse. Yet suddenly, and here we go, yet suddenly, unpracticed though she is, this young, young nymph, unpracticed though she is, yet suddenly, as you know, as here we're in our lament, you know, and, and we think what she's doing is counting the nights on end of this ancient curse. But yet suddenly, unpracticed though she is, she lifts a constellation of our voice into skies not clouded by her breath there's this sweep of you know here we are just weighted down by this grief this lamenting we're cascading we're falling we're falling yet suddenly she lifts a constellation of our voice into the skies not clouded by her breath and and what is breath it's that breath is a sign of that mortal life you know, we need that breath to be alive. And so she, you know, these skies that are not clouded by her breath, you know, she's, she's not mortal. And yet that, this is what I love about this poem is, is this idea of this immortal, um, otherworldly being who is our ally, who is going to lift our voice of lament, of grief, into the skies for us and I think sometimes when we are in the depths of grief and loneliness and and we feel so alone you know and like how and, and this, this poem connects me at least back to this idea that there are otherworldly allies whatever you want to call them or feel like I think we've all experienced moments where it's like how did we get from here to there you know I was in such a place of grief and I thought I would never come out and yet I did and I love this image that there's perhaps a nymph who's watching over our cascade of lament and that she will lift a constellation of our voice in disguise not clouded by her breath. I mean this could go on and on you know and just this idea of a constellation of our voice this our voice, our lament, now up in the sky can be a guide for others who are going through their grief. You know, so I think in a way that we are all that nymph, you know, and I think we all feel unpracticed, we all feel very young, and what do I know? And, and I feel like 
you know, when this constellation of our voice is up now in the sky, it becomes a guide for others to see that, you know, grief is, I feel like all of our emotions are constant, that, you know, they, they kind of take turns coming to the forefront. So I think, you know, our grief informs our joy. So when we're feeling joy, it's, it's there with the grief. And when we're feeling grief, it's there because we had so much joy and we're, we're grieving the loss of the joy. So they're always connected, but I feel like, you know, we have to remember that and we have to be able to see each other come through these things. And so for me, this poem is very much a poem of us helping each other through just the, the flow of life, wherever it takes us. And it's gonna take us into all of the, you know, the jubilation, it's going to take us through longing, it's going to take us through lament. And all of us within have this nymph and we can be that for ourselves, we can be that for each other, just to be a witness for each other and then to help each other through. So that's kind of my, um, my quick personal um, thoughts on this sonnet to Orpheus by Rilke. And um, I just wanted to mention that this is uh, the translated, it was translated by Edward Snow. Um, it's one of my favorite translations. So anyway, I hope that this brought some beauty and some hope and some love to your day. And I will do more of these uh, poetry dives um, in the future. Hey.